right, it's time once again for the Jack Riccardi Show. And here we go with Jack Riccardi. Yeah. Just getting that news this afternoon, Christian, about Mikhail Gorbachev. Yeah, just Very saw that coming down the pipe, yeah. Yeah, he's uh, passed away. He was 91, leader of the, uh, well, the, I guess you could say the le- the last leader of the Soviet Union as we knew it. Yep. Because uh, under him, uh, when he did all of his reforms, then you had that revolution and he was taken out, and then you had Yeltsin and a couple of other guys, and then Putin, and now we're back to Putin trying to put the, basically put the Soviet Union back together again. But I think of my, you know, when I was a a high school student and a college student, and we were in the Cold War, and it was Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher and Pope John Paul II and Mikhail Gorbachev, and it felt at the time, if you were that age, it felt like they held your future in their hands like what yeah. they did was going to determine whether you had one yeah and i remember the 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 feeling of relief as i was a senior in high school when the wall fell mm-hmm. and you know i'm not a history expert but i knew enough back then to know that graduating high school it's like i, mm-hmm. I mean i hope there's never a need for a draft you know at that age you kind of worry about mm-hmm. that stuff and mm-hmm. so when the wall fell uh, there was a big sense of relief we didn't know what was to come but at that time that was a right. big deal yeah, no, absolutely right. And uh, uh, if you think about that pantheon of people, the only one of them that's still alive is Lech Walesa, who led the the uh, labor movement in Poland, which in turn led to the unraveling of, of the Soviet Union. So we'll be talking about it uh, a little bit later on. In fact, Jed Babin, our former uh, Deputy Undersecretary of Defense in the Bush 41 administration, is going to be joining us a little bit later on. We'll talk about that and many other things. Um, President Biden is going to give uh, what's billed as a speech about the soul of the nation. Thursday night, um, prime time, he'll be in Philadelphia, and he's going to talk about the soul of the nation, the standing of America in the world, uh, democracy at stake, and uh, the, you know fighting for our democracy. President Biden will be near Independence Hall when he gives this speech. I have to say, I, this is a this is a thing presidents do. I get it, uh, but I don't know if in my lifetime we've had a president who was less qualified to speak about the soul of the nation uh, than this one. Um, I mean, I, I, I let me digress for a minute. I don't even understand the philosophy at the White House of sending this this man out to give speeches. Like in what in what kind of meeting? Would you say, you know what we need, you know what would be good, is is let's get the president to give a speech. I mean, do they not watch his speeches? Do they just run him off the copier and then... Because his speeches are a mess. They're not clear messaging. There's never been one in his presidency that moved the needle on anything. So if they have a message, having him deliver it is effectively, you know, smothering it, killing it. But also, when I think about the, the I don't know, I guess the depravity or the obscenity of him giving a speech about the soul of the nation. This is a man who, for most of his political career, was kind of a middle-of-the-road Democrat and is now this far-left, say-anything, uh, you know, labeling half the country MAGA-fascists, um, and it's it's all projection because the things they're doing 
are more fascist than anything they're accusing their opponents of. How can you give a, a speech about the, the soul of the nation when you are pitting people against one another? You're calling people semi-fascist. You're branding half the country, the entire opposition party, uh, as, uh, you know, the fascists. It's, it's, he, he's having his basket of deplorables moment, and it seems like an odd moment to give the, um, the soul of the nation speech. But that's what's going to be happening, so I guess if you have... Nothing else to do, and you want to watch that or listen to that. Um, I, I do think that, uh, I mean, in my lifetime, I've, I've heard a lot of overheated political rhetoric, and it's, it's common, obviously, especially right before an election. You start amping up and wee-weeing up against the other side. But um, I don't know. If, if he really believes that he is up against fascists, then... Um, I guess that informs us or it tells us uh, that we have no business engaging with or debating or even listening to him. You know, I don't consider myself MAGA. I voted for Trump. I don't know what MAGA means. I don't have a red cap, but um, it's it's just offensive and crude to not understand people, to not care about where they're coming from. This whole thing with the with the student loan forgiveness. They haven't taken one second to understand how offensive that is to people that did it the right way, that pay their bills, that saved, that went without. They have no interest in understanding that at all. So if you don't like it, there's something wrong with you, not something wrong with them. By the way, the president said uh, yesterday that MAGA Republicans have awakened a powerful force in America. He tweeted out, MAGA Republicans have awakened a powerful force, the women of this nation. These MAGA Republicans don't have a clue about the power of women in America. They're about to find out, he tweeted. Um, So apparently there are no women in MAGA. It's all guys. By the way, I, I keep losing the thread. Are there women or not? Like, are Seriously. One minute we can't define a woman, the next minute we can. Dobbs comes down and it's all about women. But before Dobbs, we were talking about birthing persons and chest feeders. and So I guess women are back now. You almost need like a dry erase board if you're a woman to figure out, are you, do you still exist to the Democrats or not? Keep track. There's a very common... I guess you'd say narrative going on right now in the media, to the extent if you, if you watch any of the news channels, the, the, the narrative is that the Democrats are coming back. The red wave isn't going to happen. We talked about this a little bit last week. Oh, the, 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 the momentum is with the Democrats. Republicans, Nancy Pelosi said the other morning, Republicans should be very scared right now. Um, I, I'm going to continue to say I think they're whistling past the graveyard. I, uh, I don't know if you heard... Uh, Joe Rogan on his podcast said the only thing left for uh, voters who are angry with the direction of the country, angry with the handling of COVID, angry about the border, the only thing they can do, the only thing that will get anybody's attention is to vote Republican. And essentially, whatever else the polls are saying, whatever else the the uh, you know trends are saying, the pundits... You know, I think from just talking to people, there's a lot of 
anger, dissatisfaction, fear. Now, I, I could be wrong, but I think there's so much of it that that red wave will happen for that reason alone. But here's an interesting thing to think about. Have the Republicans just been sitting back, like, resting on this? In other words, they've heard, like you and I have heard, for months, red wave, red wave, red wave. Well, we, we know all the reasons, I just mentioned a few of them, we know all the reasons that would contribute to one or would, would cause one to happen, plus the history, just the fact that in the first midterm of a president, his party usually gets shellacked. With everything else going on, with the economy, with with Biden's unpopularity and sort of being lost, he's just not all there. People can see that now. Are the Republicans just kind of? Are they just kind of like um, in 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 sports? We would say they're just kind of like, you know, playing out the clock or riding out the clock. They're just sitting on a lead. Should they be? Like, should there be a something like the contract with America that they did in 94 in those midterms? Should Republicans be stepping out and saying, we know you're angry, but we, here, here is that exactly or specifically what would be different if we had the House or if we had the Senate? Now, they're going to do that in 2024 because they're going to have a presidential candidate. But what about right now? I, I get the feeling, and I, I want to know what you think, that they're just kind of hoping they will be the receptacle you know, the, the catch basket for all these angry people, for people that that maybe are Democrats but are just angry at their own party or the radicalism of the party's position on things like abortion. Should Republicans just be sitting there waiting for that anger vote? Or should they be telling their story, giving their side, talking about talking about lockdowns? Why are they not, for example... Since we know people are angry about lockdowns, why are they not, other than Ron DeSantis, and he is an exception, and he and it's noticeable, why are they not drawing contrasts between what they did in their states and what blue states did during COVID? Why not? 210-599-5555. I mean, there are so many things that would normally indicate that people are, are wanting to register a protest vote. And if you're the Republicans, do you just sit there and sort of say, well, we don't want to screw this up, so let people believe whatever they want to believe about us and let them vote for us, even if they're not really voting for us, they're using us to vote against Biden and Pelosi and Schumer and AOC. But there is a risk to that, right, which is that you don't give people a reason for. You merely exist as a reason against. This is a statistic that I saw today, which is fascinating. There are now two jobs open, posted open jobs in this country for every unemployed worker. Now what that means is a whole lot of people have left the workforce. They haven't just quit the job they had, they've quit jobs. We've never had this in our economy. This is a a statistic they've never had, they've never seen. There's, al- there's always been um, either more workers than jobs or more jobs than workers, but there's never been this big a, a gap. And so a lot of things that used to be just cyclical, or you'd say, well, we have, a, we have a, you know, the pendulum swings one way and then it swings the other. Right now, 
There are things in our lives, there are things in our midst that are broken. We've never seen them this broken. We don't exactly know who and how they will be mended, or, and by who. Joe Biden giving a speech about the soul of the nation would be like a vampire making a public service announcement about blood donation. I mean, everything he's doing is destroying the bonds, the ties, the commonality people would naturally have with one another. And rather than, I mean, this is a man who isn't even, can't even confront himself. I mean, he's not even the guy he used to be. So rather than confront all the damage that's been done, and a lot of it was done by COVID lockdowns, and a lot of it was done by being lied to and being manipulated by very cynical politicians and public health uh, experts for the better part of two years, rather than confront that. By the way, the soul of the nation could use a lot of candor about that stuff. But instead of confronting that, instead of, uh, instead of uh, maybe turning the page, because there's a midterm, because it doesn't look very good for his party, because it doesn't look very good for his re-election if he does run for re-election, He's going to, having just this week called the other party fascists, now he's going to tell us how we can, how we can heal the country. See, the sad part for me is, and I don't know, maybe to, if you're young, this probably just seems like a lot of bull and why are we even talking about it. But see, I'm old enough to remember when presidents could give a speech that actually, uh, entered the and changed the the atmosphere in other words that office and 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 many of the men who held it had the power to do that is what teddy roosevelt called the bully pulpit the presidency has gotten really really small i know i know he's doing things like forgiving billions of student loan debt that doesn't seem small but what i mean is i don't think you can I don't think there's a sermon or a homily that a president can give right now, especially one who said the things he said. But you tell me, what do you think? 210-599-5555. And, um, and I mean, I'm not even, uh, there's a whole other discussion about this, which is who really thinks, even if the speech was written, that he would deliver it in a way that would be persuasive and, Powerful and people would sit up and go, wait, wait a minute. I'm gonna, I was gonna fold laundry here, but let me, let me listen to this. 210 599 5555. There was a time when presidents felt they needed to address, they didn't say these exact words, but the soul of the, of the country. They needed to rally people's spirits. They needed to tell people it's gonna get better. They needed to, hark back to our our history you know one of the things that presidents often did in a time of crisis lincoln did it roosevelt did it they would talk about the greatness of our founding they'd say hey in so many words hey remember the giants that dreamed of this country and 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 framed the constitution and launched this experiment that has changed the world called america but see you can't even do that now if you're joe biden because you're part of a movement that's tearing all that down. Those people are just racist slaveholders. 
You can't invoke their greatness. You can't. Why go to Philadelphia? Why go to the, the birthplace of liberty? Why? Those were just a bunch of dead white European guys, cis males. None of them ever breastfed a baby. <laughs> Not impressed. 210 599 5555. They didn't have drag queen story hour. So I, I don't know where he goes with this, but I'm not I'm not interested or impressed. Yes, the soul of the country is has been damaged. People's uh spree de corps has been damaged. But the leaders, so called, are the ones damaging it. You know, another thing that past presidents used to do is they used to rally us against a foreign enemy or an outside enemy. Hey, we can do this. We're better than them. We're stronger than them. We, 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 we have enemies, don't get me wrong. But as you go about your daily life, as you just try to take home enough money to pay your bills, raise your family the right way or as you see it the right way, just live your life, is your enemy really a foreign government or is your enemy your own government? It feels a lot of the time like it's your own government. A lot of the time it feels like the government that you have to be worried about that might at any moment lash out at you that certainly doesn't seem to have your values or share your aspirations is your own government, not not some, some faraway dictator. I mean, they're out there and we have them, don't get me wrong, but how, 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 do, you, how do you give that speech? What do you, when you're the leader of the government that just hired 87,000 new IRS agents. But I'm here for you. You're here for me, all right. 210-599-5555. And what about the Republicans? What do you think? I mean, they're kind of sitting there like waiting for the... They're like people waiting for a big meal to be served. They're at the table. They've got their napkin in their lap. All the polls, all the punditry, they're going to win a lot of seats. Their leaders are not impressive people. No one is, you don't hear anyone say, I, I've never voted Republican before, but that, that Kevin McCarthy, he makes my heart flutter. You never hear anybody say that. So they're basically waiting for a tidal wave, if it happens, that they will have had nothing to do with. Should they be telling people, Here's who we are. Here's what we would do differently. If they don't do that, are they risking that wave not being very big at all? Or do you think, hey, Jack, it's going to happen. They need to just shut up and let it happen. You know, Don't screw it up by getting into specifics. We don't need a, maybe you believe we don't need a contract with America like they did 28 years ago. That was when they were doing the midterm in Clinton's first term, and they said we're gonna we're gonna even though we're not running for president, we're gonna spell out a series of specific things that we believe we can do. It was like ten or twelve things if we have the the House and Senate. And and at that time no one thought they were gonna get it. And then when they did, they were able to achieve some of those things, but not all of them. It's a different time. What is it that you want to vote on? What is it that, that's going to make... I mean, I'm sure you're the kind of person you vote every election, you're faithful to it, and you don't need to be reminded it's election day or given the day off to vote. But is there something that is particularly inspiring, animating you to vote this time? And should the Republicans be talking about that stuff, 
or just be the 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 you know the catch basin for all the anger and, and anguish and and dissatisfaction that people are going to have uh, going to express about the Democrats. Do they need to take some positions? Do they need to set out a, a plan of action? If, if you know, here's the first 100 days of the new Congress. These are the things we're going to pass. We know we can. We we don't know if Biden will sign them, but we'll we'll go to work on them. These are the things that we think matter most to you. I mean, how much of these midterms will be about COVID resentment? Now we had an election during COVID in 2020, but we were still in the in the thick of it. Now we've come out of it. Plus, we've had all of the, oh, wait a minute, we didn't have to do this, and that didn't actually work, and masks didn't make a difference. And Is it a top-tier issue? Should they be campaigning on it? Should they be talking about what they did differently in Republican states? I mean, schools and businesses are open again, so is it yesterday's news? Or do people need to know that, hey, not everybody was on board with this? Why aren't they running on inflation? Why aren't they running on the border? I mean, some of them are. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying none of them are. But it seems like, for the most part, they're kind of just waiting to see how big the wave is. We should be doing that. (laughs) I think they should have a plan. 210-599-5555. And then you have the president getting ready to talk about the soul of the nation. And James is calling about that on 550 and 1071 KTSA. James, good afternoon. Hey, how you doing, man? Uh, yeah, so I was just—I don't know. I, mean, I just think that, like, the soul of the nation. What he's really trying to say is maybe talking to be people about like, like people in general. I hope that's what he's going to say because I—I don't, I don't know. Like, most of the Republicans ain't really saying what I want to hear. They're not talking about people. They're just talking about BS. That's why. What I is something you want? What is something you want to hear, James? I mean, I want to hear something about like like healthcare. I mean, I understand that. Okay, maybe maybe the Republicans don't want to talk about that kind of stuff. But I'm sorry, maybe you, whether you're Democrat or Republican, healthcare is a big issue. What about uh uh what yeah? What about inflation? Why aren't they talking about inflation? I heard you say right. that just a minute ago. Right. I, I get the feeling that they are just uh, they figure people are so mad. And if you're mad at the Democrats, they're the only other game in town. I get the feeling they're just kind of waiting to see if people will just, you know, vote for them by default. But that seems like a ridiculous way to to do it. Like, why wouldn't you want to maximize yeah, your chances? And, you know, to, like, thank you, James. I mean, it'd be like if you're playing a really bad team and you're a good team, you're good at every position. You'd still play. I mean, you wouldn't tell your guys to, you know, not raise a, a hand or put any effort out or walk, don't run. I mean, you still you, you have to play. And I know you're. I know somebody is going to start yelling at me in a minute that you, you. Why are you picking on the Republicans? I'm. I'm mainly asking why they are not more energized. When you've got a guy like Rogan who is not a Republican, and has this huge podcast following telling people the only way you're going to express your anger, the only way you can uh, hit back is to vote for these Republicans. 
It seems like that would be the moment that would be like the perfect opening for the Republicans to say, yeah, and here's why we, here's our plan, here's our program. And I know a lot of talk from politicians is BS, and you know it too, and we're not going to write it all down and count on every word of it, but it seems to me they are more expecting a red wave than creating one. And that could be dangerous. Because the red wave isn't going to come from Republicans. The red wave is going to come from people that aren't Republicans. Right? The red wave is going to is going to be created by people who voted for Biden and Hillary and Obama. And they may yet again, they may many of them will again vote for Democrats. But right now they're so pissed they need to register a protest vote. And if they register that protest vote by voting for some third party candidate or minor party candidate, it won't really show up, but they know if it goes to the other side, that gets everybody's attention, at least initially. I mean, I, I, I meet people every day that are so furious about the lockdowns and what was done to them, their business, their family, they almost can't put it into words. And that's what leaders do. They, create, they, they capture that stuff that you and I struggle. We, we're sputtering. We can't even find the words. They capture that and they translate that into action and policies that we can say, okay, there, now there is something I could get behind. That's a good idea. We had parents in this country called domestic terrorists for going to school board meetings. There was no terrorism. There may have been a couple of incidents of people that got a little carried away or demonstrative. But they had good reason to be angry and emotional because it's their kids. You know, if your kid was used for a gigantic social experiment, the biggest in world history, you'd be upset too, and maybe you are. They should be talking about that. They should be saying, we are your party for that. So I, I'm not saying I want a lot of happy talk or I want slogans. I don't want anything from Kevin McCarthy, who I think is kind of an empty suit, but... You would think they would be, and maybe they are. Maybe they're just saving it up for the, the, you know, the final few weeks. I don't know. I'm not privy to any of this. But if you're worried about the wave not being very big, or if you're not sure, or if you're starting to buy into this, Democrats are getting their mojo back. I don't believe that, but maybe you do. Then that would be all the more reason, right, to say, okay, well, we're going to tell people that we hear them that we don't think they're the, the bad guys, that we, we, we want them whether they voted for Trump or Cruz or Rand Paul or any of them. And we hear you about COVID, and we hear you about inflation, and we hear you about the border. And if you can look at our states, we've done things differently, and that's a good indication of what we will do if we have the chance in Washington. They have to figure this out. Just just hoping it'll work out is not... This is our country we're talking about. You, you don't just want to sit there and say, well, hope, hopefully it works out. 210-599-5555. And, and I mean, I, I, I don't know who this would come from because, again, in the absence of a um, presidential campaign with a person at the top of the ticket, the congressional leadership of the Republican Party is not that impressive. Yeah, you have Mitch McConnell, 
John Cornyn, have Kevin McCarthy. Uh, I, I guess there's a few of them that are okay. There's a few that seem pretty sharp, um, but not many. And I don't know how much they are or would be leaders or how many people even know who they are. 210-599-5555. Gary is on KTSA. Gary, good afternoon. Hi, Jack. I I just, here's the thing. We just need to send a message. The border's closed until we figure out how we're going to manage immigration and shut it down. And we we know the economy is kind of like building a house. We build this great economy we had two years ago. It's going great. It only takes a few minutes to burn it down. And they've done a great job of it. And now it's going to take time to build it back again. But the message, you're right, the message needs to get out there. The Republicans need to start making some noise. We, we can't just be laid back and wait for it to, to happen. We're, well, we and they got to talk about stuff happen. that they can do right away. Like, you, you can't you can't fit what's happened to this economy you can't fix in two years or four years no, no, uh, but no, there are things I, they I could agree. say here's something we'll do right now that you'll notice right now and 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 that worked for them before and that works in other campaigns and i think i think they need to get on it and not just see it's like they're just waiting to see how things turn out I, I agree. I mean, the, the laid back, let's see what happens, and, and, you know, let's hope everybody's mad enough to do something about it and vote differently. That's not the answer. You know, I, I'm going to say this. Clint, Clint had a gimmick, the contract with America. It, he had a gimmick. It worked. And they need to get off their tuckus and do something about it. Put it out there. Yeah. What are you going to do? What can you do? Yeah. All right. Gary, thank you. So when the president announced debt cancellation for college uh loan holders the presumption was that this would be um you know fairly young maybe early middle age uh voters to whom this would appeal um there's a uh story today about a woman who's 91 and owes 300 and well I'll just round off Basically, $330,000 on a $29,000 loan. She went back to college in the 80s when she was 52. She was a public school teacher. She enrolled in law school. She took out $29,000 in loans, and now she owes $330,000, and she's 91 years old. I'd like to see the math on this because I'm having a little trouble with it. It almost sounds like her name is Betty Ann. If Betty Ann's for real, it sounds like Betty Ann never made a payment. I mean, what what was the plan, Betty Ann? What what were you going to do? You 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 didn't have any. There was no talk in the 1980s about forgiving any of this stuff. I mean, she started college the year I did. There was not, believe me, there was no talk. No one was entertaining, kicking around, spitballing the idea of forgiving college loans. You've had all this time. You're an educated woman. You've worked in a profession that pays decently. Did you never make a payment? I, I mean, 
I'm not trying to pick on her, but I, I guess I am a little bit. You were a 52-year-old educator, and you've run up a $330,000 bill. It sounds like she never made a payment. It, th- this is the thinking that makes college loan forgiveness infuriating. You know, you'd like to think if people are failing or, or struggling, that they're trying, right? And they just couldn't do it. She's had 39 years. How has she not accumulated, set aside, any money? But that's the kind of story you're going to hear. You know who Stan Van Gundy is? Stan Van Gundy was an NBA coach, and uh, his brother Jeff is a former NBA coach. Um, there must have been a memo at one point that NBA coaches also need to have you know, political commentary. So Stan Van Gundy uh, posted um, about the college loan forgiveness thing under the headline, Republican Logic. Um, he, he compared what President Biden has done to the story in the Bible of Jesus and the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. Van Gundy writes, Jesus' miracle was a slap in the face to all the people who brought their own lunch that day. So in other words, you remember the story, right? It's in all the Gospels. Jesus draws this big crowd who want to hear him speak, and he speaks to them at length. And and as the day ends, they're nowhere near a town or a village, and these people are hungry. There's nothing for them to eat. There's a little bit of food that somebody has, but it's not nearly enough. And he performs a miracle, if if you believe this stuff. If not, I'm just telling you what what we believe. He performs a miracle that that multiplies the loaves and fishes, so much that the crowd eats, they get their fill, and there's baskets and baskets of leftover food. And Stan Van Gundy thinks that's what Biden is doing right now. That's, That's Stan's hot take on Biden's loan forgiveness plan. Now, for starters, the people in college debt are not the poor and the hungry. They're people with a college degree, right? They are the furthest thing from the people in that crowd. They're not, they're not destitute. They're not helpless. But also, correct me if I'm wrong, those who believe in the miracle of the loaves and fishes believe that Jesus made them out of nothing. He didn't send the disciples like a early version of the IRS to go take loaves and fishes from other people and give them to his folks. It's it's all about where the loaves and fishes came from, Stan. <laughs> It was not redistributed from other people. It was not forcibly taken from other people, especially not from working class people. In fact, I think he has the story backwards. The people in the, in the, in the audience of Jesus Christ are, they're you and me. We're the people being made to pay for loan forgiveness. We're not the ones getting the loaves and fishes. But it also points out how many people on the left think that government is God. Government is their God. 
You should believe in it. You know how they say that a lot? Believe. It's not something we usually say about a, a human institution. It's something that we would say about a higher, you know, not of this world institution. And they believe that social programs and government policies are miracles. You can make something out of nothing. You can give people something without taking it away from someone else. It's all win-win. They, they really believe that. You remember the uh, story of the lady who uh, got a ticket for driving in the HOV lane, and her defense was that she's pregnant, and so her unborn baby was the other passenger. I do, yes. Yes, I do. And we talked about that, and... Um, of course, she got her case. Her uh, ticket was dismissed, ultimately. We, I don't know how much of that was um, adjudication and how much of that was public relations, but they they dismissed her case. Well, now she's gotten another ticket, again, in the HOV lane. Same thing. Has she given birth? N- well, no. Something tells me she's going to be pregnant for a long time. You know what I mean? <laughs> Sounds like... <laughs> Yeah, she can be pregnant be. for years, is what I'm saying. All <laughs> right. But, uh, we'll see what happens this time. She says she was not trying to test the law again. She just happened to be in a hurry, but she used the same, my unborn baby is the other passenger. So, well, we're trying to get do? an interview with the, we're trying to get an interview with the unborn baby just to get his side of it. So I'll we'll get to work on that. I'll see if I can help yeah. you out with that. He has to say about that. 210-599-5555. Jack here on KTSA. You can join the show and, uh, we've been talking about the midterms and what's going to happen, and and uh, is, is it going to be a red wave, a big red wave, a small red wave? Are you going to be disappointed? Are the Republicans trying to earn your vote or just sitting back with their arms folded, figuring, well, Biden and the Democrats have screwed up so badly, we're just going to reap the reward. We don't have to do anything. We're holding the winning lottery ticket. We don't have to do a thing. We're just We just have to be here. We just have to be the other name on the ballot, the other line on the ballot. Do you do you think they're right? 210-599-5555. And I mean, there, there's all these indicators that point to a wave election, but do you still need to get out there and earn that vote, ask for that vote, talk about how you would you would have done and will do things differently. What are your thoughts on that? 210-599-5555. Um, I want to play this for you. This was uh, yesterday at the White House briefing. Peter Ducey from Fox is asking um, Karine Jean-Pierre, why are they letting people walk across the border unvaccinated but a world-class tennis player can't come here and play tennis or words to that effect anyway listen to the question and the answer this is cut number four how come migrants are allowed to come into this country unvaccinated but world-class tennis players are not are you you're talking about which world-class tennis player novak Djokovic. so as far <laughs> you know just to just since you asked about me about him, you asked me about him. So visa records are confidential under U.S. law. Uh, therefore, the U.S. government cannot uh, discuss the details of individual visa cases. Uh, due to privacy reasons, the U.S. government also does not comment on medical information of individual travelers as it relates to uh, the tennis uh, the tennis play, uh, player. I don't. She just started reading from the book. You know, she has that big binder 
But when, um, you know, when Jen Psaki read from the binder, it didn't sound like she was reading from the binder. She had, a, she, had a, she had that trick of making it sound like this is my answer, but I have some notes here in front of me. KJP just dives into the binder, you know, like, like you know, it's like she's having an allergic reaction, and that's the EpiPen. And that answer had nothing to do with the question. We don't know the. These are not. These are first of all, the, the people walking across the border are just getting across the border. They're not asylum cases. They don't have a a folder with their name on them. We don't know who they are. We're we're surmising, I think, safely that most of them are unvaccinated. Maybe maybe almost all of them. What is the point of persisting and enforcing against this tennis guy? And I'm not a tennis fan. I have no axe to grind in this. I don't care. But there's no consistency to that. There's no science to that. And and so then she tried to say, oh, well, it's not really a case of people... You know, it's not true that people are walking across the border. Well, they are. I mean, we see it on the news. It's our, we, we, we can believe our own lying eyes. There is a uh, lawsuit that the state of Florida has brought against the um, Biden administration and the Department of Homeland Security. So the state of Florida is suing over the migrant policy. And they got the Border Patrol chief, whose name is Raul Ortiz, under oath as a deposition. So this is not a news conference, right? This is not an interview. This is President Biden's Border Patrol chief testifying under oath. Listen to some of the questions and the answers uh, that he gives. Take a listen to this. Cut number seven. Would you agree, Chief Ortiz, that the southern border is currently in crisis? Objection. Yes. Would you agree, Chief Ortiz, that unprecedented numbers of aliens are illegally entering the United States right now? Objection. Yes. When President Biden was elected, did the number of aliens trying to illegally enter the United States increase or decrease? Objection. Increase. From your 31 years of experience, as the Border Patrol in a year ever had the number of encounters that it's going to have in 2022? Objection. No. Is the crisis that is currently ongoing at the southern border uh, making the border less safe for Americans and aliens alike? Objection. Yes. Since President Biden was elected, does this document indicate that aliens illegally entering the United States perceive that they will be able to enter and remain in the United States? Objection. Yes. Why is it important to detain and remove demographics that are amenable to the Border Patrol? One, you want to make sure you have consequences. Okay. And if you don't have consequences, what is likely going to happen? Objection. In my experiences, we have, in my experience, we have seen increases uh, when there are no consequences. Okay. So, if migrant populations believe that they're going, there are not going to be consequences. They will more of them will come to the border. Is that what you're saying? Objection. There is an assumption that if migrant populations are told 
that uh, there's a potential that they may be released that, yes, you can see increases. So it will increase. Yeah, so, and it goes on like this. And he's so the, the lawyer for the state of Florida asked the question. The lawyer representing uh, Ortiz or the government uh, is putting an objection on the record to every question. That's why you hear a voice saying objection. And then he's giving answers that, um, are, are, I mean, you couldn't argue with this, right? I mean, whatever your position, whatever party, these are these statements are true. They are borne out by our experience. And you have the spokesman at the White House saying, people aren't walking across the border. That's not happening. And um, it's funny because there's no crisis on the border, but there's a crisis in New York. And there's a crisis in Washington, D.C. when illegal immigrants are showing up on buses from Texas. Now, I, I, I'm having trouble following this. So do they become a crisis when they get 2,000 miles into the country, but they're not when they get, you know, 200 feet into the country? It, why is it a crisis that requires extraordinary intervention by the federal government when they're in New York, but when they're in Texas or Arizona or Florida, just shut up, right? On our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line, uh, News 4 San Antonio's Jay Avila with a story tonight about the Migrant Resource Center of the city of San Antonio. Uh, he's joining us right now. And Jay Avila, good to have you back with us. Good afternoon to you. Good to be with you, Jack. So Migrant Resource Center sounds pretty, I don't know, uh, innocuous, like they might have some pamphlets or, you know, <laughs> advice or, or, or guidance, you know, questions helping you navigate your arrival in this country. But there's a lot more going on there, I, I guess. Yeah, when we, uh, we all covered when they, uh, the city opened it up in early July, and it was billed as a place where um, – Immigrants coming into San Antonio, instead of, you know, being dropped off all over the place at the bus station or downtown or something, they go to one place and have a, a place to sleep inside and eat uh, meals and finish making their travel arrangements. And we were told that most of them have, you know, paid already in advance by the time they get here for their tickets. Um, but uh, it turns out that we, we put in some open records requests and found out that, um, as of August 15th, the city had spent more than $275,000 on bus and plane tickets uh, for immigrants at the center. And some of that money was given to Catholic charities, and, and they bought the tickets. But in other cases, the, the city just bought them. I remember that when um, Secretary Mayorkas uh, came through town, uh, they did a photo op with him at this place. He had nice things to say about it. Um but this is the first I'm hearing that they are acting as basically as travel agents, only not even travel agents, because with a travel agent, you give them your money. You're saying the city is is paying for the transportation of illegal immigrants out of San Antonio? Yes, the city is, is paying that. Uh, and that was only up to August 15th, the 275000 so far in tickets. Now, they do say we're going to get reimbursed by FEMA. We're going to get reimbursed by the federal government uh, for doing this. But, you know, that is, that's still, you know, taxpayer money, different, different pockets. So I, mm-hmm. I you know, I went to, uh, uh, they, they wouldn't talk to me, wouldn't uh, do an interview, the city, they declined our several requests. So we went and caught up with the mayor today and asked him why, why he's, um, why they're doing this. Why are they paying for the tickets? And um, didn't really get 
um, you know, a, re- a real answer to that question. Other than that, he says that um, in the asylum process, when they fill out their paperwork down at the border with Border Patrol, they say, we're, gonna, we're moving on to such and such a city in the United States, and we want to go to our asylum hearing there. And then they go to San Antonio, the closest big city, to uh, take a, a bus or a, or a plane. And he says if they get here and they, they can't buy their tickets, uh, we help them with the rest of their journey. Are other cities, uh, border cities, doing this? Um, I, I'm not really sure if other border cities are doing this. We interviewed uh, Congressman Tony Gonzalez, um, who says uh, he, he told us that you know other other cities are facing similar situations, but you know they don't have you know usually those those folks are are leaving pretty quickly out of town. Remember they they did get on buses quickly, so. Um, they're usually busing out, but they're not flying out like they were here. Now, I was expecting the city to perhaps say something like um, helping them with airfare and bus fare is better than, you know, having everyone stay here because they can't mm-hmm. afford to, to move on. But they uh, they didn't say that. They just mm-hmm. said, you know, we're just we're, we're going to help them. And, and that's not all. I have information in my story tonight about um, more money that has been spent on firefighters and police and we're talking close to 300,000 in overtime for firefighters to man the center and another 448,000 in overtime just in July for police officers now the police officers are doing like security is that well some of the um, firefighters and police were not pleased with the tasks they're having to do some is transportation, driving people around in the little white city vans. Um, some of it is translation work and some other things. Um, and so they, you know, they, they haven't, they can't speak publicly about it, but they have kind of reached out um, to uh, not only the news media to look into it, but of course, members of Congress. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, they, they have been speaking out a little bit and so have the, uh, business owners around the resource center. Um, there's one who says that the panhandling has really gotten out of hand. He says, uh, you know, his customers are being approached, you know, to give money, to, to sell money through the cell phone mm-hmm. uh, for, for some immigrants. He says he doesn't understand why when meals are provided at the resource center. So mm-hmm. um, things are starting to, uh, complaints are starting to bubble to the surface here. Yeah. Um. And this notion or this uh, idea that they will be reimbursed by FEMA, it, do, where, where, what indication do we have of that? I mean, is that is that just something they hope will happen, or has that already been allocated? Or Nirenberg says that it is money set aside that that is for this direct purpose. Um, Congressman uh, Gonzalez kind of you know laughed a little bit at that and said. You know, well, well, good luck in getting that, at least in a timely fashion. But yeah. um, the city seems confident that it will be reimbursed for not only for the tickets, but for the overtime as well. Yeah, very interesting. So this story will be on News 4 tonight with Jay Avila, uh, and I'm sure you'll be following up on it. But uh, thanks thanks for the setup or the preview of it, and we'll look forward to seeing it tonight. Thanks for having me, Jack. Thank you. Jay Avila from News 4 on KTSA. 210-599-5555. So a couple of couple of thoughts i mean I, I i get the human component these are human beings 
no nobody nobody wants to see human beings without a place to go or a roof over their head but you've you've brought them here through uh false promises and bad policy and i would say political gamesmanship i mean the the the, the idea that abbott is the only one using these people to make a point that they were let into the country to make a point let's be clear about that but anyway um if, if this was some Catholic charities or private group that was doing all this, uh, the only issue I guess I would have is, are you, you know, are you creating a, a nuisance problem or a criminal issue, or are you containing it on your property and in your building? But for the city to be doing this, you know, we're, we're not a wealthy city. This is a city where kids have to walk in the street because there's no sidewalks. This is a city where elderly people... Uh, have to be brought to a fire station when it's hot because they don't have air conditioning. Some of them don't even have a fan. This is a city during distance learning that had to drive around. Many of our school districts on the south and and west sides, they had to drive around and see if if kids actually had a computer. You couldn't just order up distance learning like you'd order up takeout Chinese. You had to find out if people had the computer. You had to find out if neighborhoods had any Internet service. So the idea that in a in one of America's poorest big cities, the city is doing this, just throwing this money around, like their daddy warbucks, is it, this isn't even a policy thing or a red blue thing. This is just completely bonkers, out of touch. You know, drunk with power. This is a city government that's all rubber stamped. There's no, you know, except for Clayton Perry. There's there's ne- never is heard a discouraging word, right, in City Hall. I mean, it's not, I guess, there's no way to be surprised by this, even if you've never heard any of this before. It's of a piece with everything else they do at City Hall. Now in our KTSA Kinetico Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line, uh, Jed Babin, former Deputy Undersecretary of Defense and a contributing editor at American Spectator and uh, other, you can read him in a lot of other places as well. And Jed, welcome back. Good afternoon. Well, thanks. Good afternoon to you. We were just getting started with the show today when we heard the uh, news about Mikhail Gorbachev. What would be the Jed Babin epitaph for Mikhail Gorbachev? Well, the last failed leader of a failed state. Uh, Basically, he did what Ronald Reagan forced him to do and ended up with the Soviet Union basically falling apart around him. Uh, I think he was something of a sympathetic figure, uh, but certainly not anyone who, who should be admired for any reason. Would Reagan have been able to, um, particularly in the final few years of the Cold War, w- w- was Gorbachev important to or vital to what Reagan and Thatcher and Pope John Paul II were doing? I think he was important because he was st- simply doing what Soviet leaders had been doing and you know could be counted on to do you know, refusing to recognize reality and not dealing with the internal problems of the soviet union uh you know he just was one of many uh as i said earlier just a, a failed leader of a failed state mm-hmm. uh, how does he compare sad, to putin but, how would you how would you contrast him to vladimir putin well i think he was much less powerful uh, i think he was much less supported uh by the soviet well by the russian state now I keep getting them confused. There's a whole lot of difference. But, you know, the basic point is Putin is vastly more powerful, 
I mean, heck, Gorbachev survived a coup barely uh, just four or five months before he left power. So it was not someone. Uh, Putin is vastly more powerful, vastly more dangerous. And I think that's being proved out right now in Ukraine and mm. quite frankly in a lot of other places. It's it's um, one of those ironies, I guess, of history that he would die on a day that we're hearing about um, Ukrainian troops making some uh, progress or taking some villages and uh, the, the continued bogging down of of uh, of Russia in Ukraine, because it, it, Putin is essentially trying to put back together, right, what started to fall apart under Gorbachev. Absolutely. I mean, Putin wants very much. And he's, I think, said as much uh, to put back together the old Soviet Union. Uh, he said, I believe, oh, golly, four or five years ago, something to the effect that uh, the greatest humanitarian tragedy of the 20th century was the fall of the Soviet Union. Uh, and he very much wants to put it back together. So, yeah, he's trying to do it by force. He's trying to do it by blackmail. And, well, he's someone who we have to face up to, frankly, a lot better than we're doing right now. How, how much stock do you put in this sort of anecdotal stuff that's coming out of Ukraine? Can we believe what we're hearing? I'm always, I'm always a little skeptical because there's there's a powerful narrative in this country that uh, Zelensky is Churchill, and so you know he's he's executing this brilliant come from behind, uh, you know, Battle of Britain victory. But I don't know what to believe. I don't know what I don't know who to believe. Well, I think and probably start off by discounting a lot of what we're hearing because it's the news, and the news exaggerates, and that's kind of what happens. Uh, I think what we have to see in Zelensky, he certainly isn't Churchill, but he's doing a very courageous job of holding his country together. Now, is the country perfect? No. It's very corrupt. Uh, is he perfect? No. I mean, he's taking his time to pose for Vogue magazine, for God's sake. Yeah. But on the, all, on the whole, the guy is doing an excellent job. And, you know, Ukraine, I think, is not losing and they're kind of winning by not losing. That's what we oh, said okay. about the Taliban for 20 yeah. years. So I think right now uh, Ukraine deserves an awful lot of help. They're getting a lot of help. Uh, the one thing they badly need, what they need most, quite frankly, is new and better combat aircraft, and they're not getting them because Biden refuses to let them have them. Uh, so at this point, it's anybody's guess. I think they're making great progress around Kherson in the southern area. They're trying to push even into Crimea. Uh, and, you know, the winter is coming. You know, it's uh, the kind of thing, that, <laughs> I hate to quote Game of Thrones, and I didn't intentionally, but, you know, the basically po basic point is that the war is going to grind to a halt pretty much in the winter months, no matter who's winning. You know, there's going to be mud, there's going to be snow, there's going to be bad weather, and it's awfully hard for ground troops to fight. And unless they have reliable air support, which neither side, I think, will have, uh, I don't think there's going to be a lot of action in the mm. winter months. So they're trying to make some progress now. Uh, I wish them all the luck. Uh, and quite frankly, I've heard uh, from people who have been there. Uh, a friend of mine, who I won't name, uh, is a retired Marine Corps colonel, and uh, he was there in Ukraine for about three or four months. Uh, he saw a lot of the atrocities that the Russians were committing, you know, basically war crimes on every doorstep. Uh, and I think that for that reason alone, uh, we need to be backing the Ukrainians uh, as hard and fast as we can. I, I hear you. I hear you. I guess the cynic in me keeps thinking, you know, Republicans and Democrats have teamed up to throw billions of dollars his way. They're going. Of course, they're going to tell us it's going well or he's he's winning because what 
they can't they can't really say in their media the, the media they control really can't say anything else right they've invested well, I mean, in again that yeah i think you know they're winning by not losing and you know let's remember that the vast amount of dollars we're sending them is not in dollars it's in guns and tanks and you know anti-tank missiles and things like that you know it's ammunition it's not money so you know i would think that we would be really stupid to start pumping the Ukrainian government full of money because that's not what they need. And again, maybe we could forgive corrupt. their student loans. Maybe we could. Uh, do you think that would help them? All right. <laughs> yeah, Jed Babin on KTSA. Yeah, I know. Um, what is going on now? We just we just had the the one year anniversary of the the disastrous pullout of Afghanistan, and it looks like I don't want to oversimplify, but what is going on in Baghdad with the green zone and? Uh, evacuating people from the embassy, and um, is that does that have the potential to become another cobble for the Americans who are there? I think yes and no is the proper answer. Uh, what's more important at this point is not that we're going to be ending up withdrawing from there, and we probably should, and we probably should have done it a long time ago. Uh, the real important event is the retirement from politics of Muqtada al-Sadr, uh, who I think has retired five or six times previously, so I don't take his retirement too seriously. But he's an enormously powerful figure. This is a Shiite cleric who ran an army of militias against the United States while we were in its force in Iraq. Uh, he's a deadly enemy. He's also, quite frankly, uh, been he's been to Iran so many times and for so long a period. I mean, at one time he was studying to be an Ayatollah, uh, and I don't know if he ever made the grade. But this guy is half Iraqi nationalist, half uh, Iranian loyalist, and it's not going to work out in any event uh, any better for us now than it has uh, in the past. So I think at this point, you're going to see rockets landing in the green zone. You're going to see people getting out of there. Uh, We've still got troops there in a couple of different places, not just the green zone. Uh, And we've got troops in Syria, uh, which are supposedly fighting ISIS and Lord only knows what else. So there's a lot of complications going around in there, Jack, uh, and it's not going to get any simpler anytime soon. I have so many things I want to ask you about. I, I won't get to all of them, but I did want to ask you briefly about Taiwan. We had the, the story a few days ago where the, the Taiwanese uh, were throwing rocks at a Chinese drone. The Chinese are mocking them on Twitter for that now. Uh, but but it, it looks like both sides are uh, heating up. And I was reading about... Uh, a, a strategy called the porcupine strategy. Taiwan is following the porcupine strategy. What is that? Well, it beats the heck out of me, but I would guess it would say, you know, we're going to be so hard to occupy that they're not going to want to be here. Uh, and I don't think that's really going to work. I think the Taiwanese, you know, as good as they are, uh, they can fight for days, maybe weeks. Uh, but the Chinese, if and when, well, not if, but when, they attack Taiwan, they're going to conquer it. And it's going to be very hard. The Chinese, well, the Taiwanese are going to try to fight in the hills and be that porcupine. Uh, But it's not going to be like, you know, the Brits trying to occupy America in the late 1770s. Could it be like Ukraine? Would it be, would it be, uh, would, would China have an experience like Russia's having in Ukraine? I don't think so. For the simple reason that Taiwan is too small. Ukraine's a doggone big place. It's about the right. size of Texas, as I recall. Uh, and, you know, it'd be pretty hard for anybody to occupy Texas. 
So, you know, the basic point really comes down to if they had more room, the Taiwanese do a lot more. They could last a lot longer. But I think, you know, quite frankly, we're going to end up in a war if they try to, if the Chinese try to conquer Taiwan. We're going to end up in that war, and it's going to be a very, very big war, uh, not just around Taiwan. You know, going back to Gorbachev, you know, I was I was saying earlier when I was growing up, you know, the the idea that war was inevitable, that Cold War leading to hot war was inevitable, was something that just hung over us. We 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 thought about it, we lived with it, uh, we hated it, um, but things unraveled pretty quickly uh, in a pretty short amount of time uh, under pressure, as you pointed out from Reagan and and other leaders. Could China's um, insistence or claim on Taiwan weaken if their leadership weakens or if their internal situation weakens? Could they say, hey, we have enough trouble without picking that fight, too? Could that happen? It could, but I think it's going to be a, a very little chance of that happening. Look, what's going to happen right now, and you know, you're, you're treading into my next call for the Washington Times, uh, I think what's happening now is the Chinese economy is getting vastly weakened uh, mm-hmm. by two things. Number one, you know, they have inflation over there. Number two, they've got more COVID lockdowns than you can shake a stick at. And number three, their Belt and Road Initiative, where they've invested trillions of dollars in foreign countries seeking to dominate them by building infrastructure project uh, projects. Uh, a lot of those, a lot of those loans are going tango uniform, uh, and you know they're just not able to pay them back. The countries who have lent the money, I think China's economy is going to slow down a lot. So we're going to see them getting a bit weaker. Whether that means they're going to give up on their ambitions for Taiwan is a very different matter. Yeah, I mean a week, a week. Uh, superpower can become more dangerous, not less, right? I mean, that's always a possibility. Sure, absolutely. Happens a lot. Happens when the Soviet Union, happened when the Soviet Union fell. Uh, you know, the only one I can think of that it didn't happen to was Rome. And they just kind of fell apart at the seams. Yeah. Jed Babin, you can read him in American Spectator and the Washington Times and hear him here and always appreciate it. Jed, thank you for the time today. Hey, thanks. My pleasure. Well, we've heard this before. Um, can't have voter ID laws because not everybody can have ID. Not everybody can get ID. Not everybody can handle the obtaining of ID or even remember to take it with them. Here's Democratic Senate candidate John Fetterman from Pennsylvania explaining why he opposes voter ID in his own state and everywhere else. Listen to this. And these other states that the right to vote is being suppressed, it's being curtailed, curtailed, it's being shaved off. In my own state, they are going to pass, uh, attempt to pass a, a constitutional amendment, making sure that universal voting ID for every time you vote, not just when you sign up to vote, but every time you vote, because they understand that at any given time, there's tens of thousands of Pennsylvanians who typically typically are on the uh, are on the the poorer side and and are people of color that are less likely to have their ID at any one given time. You know how it is; those people of color are always running out the door, forgetting their ID. Why is the argument that they shouldn't have to show ID only for voting? Why, do, why doesn't John Fetterman say that we should let African-Americans and Hispanic-Americans get on airplanes without ID or cash a check without ID or, you know, whatever else you, you, you show ID for? 
if if the argument is that they are simply congenitally incapable, which by the way is is an incredibly offensive and insulting argument, but if that's if you're going to go with that, why not extend it to everything? I mean, the federal government controls the the air passenger, the air travel system, right? It's a federal agency that demands your photo ID at the at the uh, checkpoint, right? Why don't they only require it of white people? Or, as I like to think of myself, as a person of no color. I'm colorless. <laughs> colorless and classless and clueless. No, I mean, it's such a... Ri- I, this is one of those things that I have to remind myself, don't let it go. As ridiculous as Fetterman's comments are, and they've been made by so many other politicians... And you, your temptation when you're in this business is to say, oh, we've, we've already talked about that, or we've brought that up before. Everybody knows that's bull. But no, you know what? No, every time they say it, mock them to their face, because it's a ridiculous argument. And I don't know, I, I keep wondering, at some point, will people of color get tired of hearing how um, infantile they are and incapable they are and what? You know, how how much longer can you spin the narrative that they're not able to have ID, they're not able to show it, it's scary for them? Is is that eventually not going to work out the way John Fetterman and the Democrats hope? I was just uh, reading about a uh, young woman in England, uh, Christian, who is competing in the Miss England 2022 contest. She is the first contestant, I guess, you know, the to make it this far or whatever, without any makeup. Oh, really? Melissa Rauf is a uh, is trying to make the point that you can be beautiful without, and she is a very lovely uh, girl, uh, but she says she wants to set an example, so she is competing without makeup. Well, best of luck to her. Yeah. So she's probably the first one out there on stage for every event, right? I would guess. You know, just... <laughs> it could be. <laughs> Are you ready? I'm ready. Yeah. All right. That's probably not very popular with the other contestants while they're in there putting their makeup on. Oh, there's Melissa. Uh, President Biden is going to give a primetime speech Thursday night near Independence Hall. It says near Independence Hall. I don't know if he'll be like in front of it or up the street in Philadelphia. He's going to talk about the soul of the nation. How interested are you in that? Um, This is the president who ran saying that the, he, was, he was running for president to save the soul of America. He, he didn't even want to run. He, he just wanted to retire and, and uh, you know, wrap up his public life, he said. But I felt I had to run to save the soul of the country because Trump was eating the soul of the country. And then he gave an inaugural address in which he said, let's not look at the other side as our enemies. We're all Americans. We have to lower the volume. But Mr. Soul of the Country just gave a speech the other day in which he called the Republican Party fascists or semi-fascists. I guess we should be grateful. Semi is, you know, not as bad. Um, I, You know, I'm old enough to remember when presidential speeches actually could be, you know, they could calm the waters or they could have an effect on the on the conversation. The sad thing about this is that th- there literally is nothing Biden could say 
that would heal the soul of the country. But he could certainly stop saying and maybe even um, use whatever influence he has, which I, as I say that I realize is probably not very much, against people that are pitting us against each other. Because this is a problem. This is a problem. You know, you and I may differ on politics, or you, you may hear this show and think that guy is wrong about everything. I disagree with him. But you and I still have more in common vis-a-vis the people in power. It is not about whether your party won or lost or your guy won or lost. You and I are we the people. And they are a two-party, two-headed system of elites, a permanent government within the government, people that don't come and go based on elections. They weren't elected. They don't leave when there's an election. And I, 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 guess, I guess we can't count on this president to say anything like that, but I hope people know that. I hope people are figuring that out. I hope as they see the things that are happening around them, they realize that the, the direction this country's headed, the things its politicians are doing, are bad for all kinds of people. They're not just bad for people that didn't vote for Joe Biden. Like, oh, well, you didn't get on the train in time, so now you don't get the goodies. The, the people that voted for him are not getting the goodies. 210-599-5555. Um, there's a popular belief that this election this fall is going to be a red wave, that it's going to lead to a massive number of Republican House pickups, they'll, they'll, they'll be in, in the majority in the House. There seems to be less expectation of that in the Senate, but it's still possible. And um, we were talking earlier, do you think Republicans should just sit back and allow all of the things that people are angry about, frustrated about COVID and inflation and gas and the border and crime and CRT and should they just say, you know, sit there and be the receptacle of all that frustration? In other words, should they be the protest vote? And Joe Rogan is telling his podcast audience there's only one way you can register your fury about COVID and that's to vote Republican. He's not a Republican. He doesn't agree with them on a lot of things. But he, his point is, that's the only way you tell the, 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 the power people that you're mad, is you vote for the party that's not in power. The only, the only thing that gets their attention, is he right? Or, or do you think Republicans need to start actually staking out, hey, this is what we will do? They've done this before, not only in presidential elections, but even in the 1994 midterm elections, which were the first ones under uh, then-President Bill Clinton. Uh, Democrats were in in the White House. They had control of both the House and Senate. They had control of a majority of the governorships. And then in one election, all of that changed except for control of the presidency. Clinton was still there. The Democrats lost the House, lost the Senate, lost the governorships, began a, a period when they lost even the state legislatures. 
And some people think it was because in that midterm election, Newt Gingrich and the Republicans put together a, a, a little pocket guide, a little list. They called it Contract with America. And it was specific stuff they knew they could pass through the House and Senate if they had the votes. So people gave them the votes. Do Republicans in 2022 need to do something like that? Or is it different now and maybe people are too cynical? Your thoughts on that? 210-599-5555. I saw this discussion on Twitter. Um, A woman posted... I love how barista, and you know what a barista is, right? That's the people that make your coffee at Starbucks. I love how barista is the job conservatives bring out as a lazy slacker job when one shift at a busy Starbucks would have them crouched sobbing in the back room. She writes, imagine spending hours on your feet making four different drinks at once while being glared at by unemployed boy moms running late for their daily zombie walks around Target. I do like that. I like the boy mom term. i got to start using that. I don't even know what it means. I just like the sound of it. So she's saying that you shouldn't mock people that work at Starbucks. You shouldn't mock anybody that works. In this day and age, people show up for any job. Good, Good for them. I'm I'm all for anybody that works, anybody that gets up on time and shows up on time, whatever they do. There's way too many people that could be working and are not. So good for you if you work at Starbucks or anywhere else. Not crazy about your coffee, but okay. But her point is, you conservatives, you couldn't do it. You couldn't handle a shift at Starbucks. And and she's getting a lot of heat because people are saying, are you serious? Do you, you really think you have the hardest job? You think that working behind the counter making frappuccinos would break the average person? People can't do it? And, you know, there has been mockery of the baristas. They're unionizing in some cities. One of the Starbucks here, I think it's the one on Vance Jackson unionized. And um, I want to ask you, do you think the job you do is harder than being a barista? Let's help Sarah York out a little bit here, because she says you conservatives couldn't do what I do. You couldn't. If we put you behind the counter in one of those green aprons, you couldn't do it. You couldn't hack it. You you would be broken. You oil field workers, you construction and drywall guys, you truckers, you couldn't do it. You're not man enough to work at Starbucks. Frappuccinos cold brews, I don't even know what they are, nitro, nitrous, nitro things. Couldn't do it. And I'm not even getting into pumpkin latte. Do you think your job is harder than a barista's job? On Twitter, Sarah York says, I love how barista is the job conservatives bring as a lazy slacker job. One shift at a moderately busy Starbucks would have them crouched in the back room sobbing. Um, is your, is, is your job harder than Starbucks? I, I, I'm not one who's ever said that working there is a slacker job. I don't think I have anyway. If I've ever blurted that out, I, 
I don't mean it. I don't think so. I think anybody that shows up and does a job is to be commended for that. But the lack of awareness that you would think what you're doing is so hard that other people wouldn't be able to do it, couldn't do it, is just <laughs> that's spectacular. I mean, that really is, you know? And um, tell me about a job that's harder than being a barista. Is there one, or is that really it? Is that the, is that the hardest job? Is that what re- would reduce a person to sobbing? My niece, by the way, who's 17, just got hired at Starbucks up in Massachusetts. She was working at a supermarket, like a what would be an H-E-B down here. And she uh, decided she'd rather work at Starbucks because she goes there all the time, and she knows the people, and her friends go there. She doesn't see her friends at the supermarket very much, but she'll definitely see them there. Uh, she doesn't seem to be too worried about whether or not she can keep up with the the pace. JR is on KTSA. JR, good evening. Good evening. How you doing today? Well, good. So, do you think you could would Starbucks break you? Would they break me? Probably <laughs> not. But if you could teach it, I could learn it. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll admit yeah. she she she's absolutely right. I couldn't do a barista job anywhere cuz I've never done it before. There I'm a truck driver now and there was a time that I thought Oh, I'm never going to get past this backing course. You know, I'm never going to be able to drive this truck, but here I am 10 years later driving a truck down the road. And to be quite honest, I think a lot of the conservatives are a little, they're exaggerating a bit because typically barista jobs are are entry-level jobs. So it's easy to pick on entry-level jobs like that. But I I think probably when people pick on them, what they're picking on is not the job, but the idea that you'd be unionizing and you'd be, you know, carrying on about, uh, you know how how hard it is. Look, it, it it it's a job, and you should be commended for having a job and doing a job. All jobs Absolutely. matter, but but come on, you know, part of the daily grind. Yeah. Oh, I see what you did there. Daily <laughs> grind. All right. Daily grind. Yeah. There you go. Well, let me ask you this, Jr. Do you think um, could just anybody be a truck driver? Hmm. It has to go back with with who they are as a person. If if you can learn it, then absolutely. It, it, there's some people just can't learn some stuff, and I, I've seen I've taught many many students where I work now that sometimes you just don't got it, and I have to be able to make that call because you're going to be out on the road with other people, and if you don't get it, you're going to hurt somebody. That's that's something I can't have. What's the so, hardest part of it? What would you say? The hardest part about truck driving is everybody else around you, not knowing yeah. Yeah. what you got to look out for. Being able to see ahead of the situation, seeing five or six cars ahead of you, they start to merge together and collide, and then you got to know what to do because you just can't, yeah. you just can't stop. Yeah, I wonder about that when I see cars darting in front of and you know zipping in and out of line or in front of these trucks. It's not. It's a force of nature. It's not. It's not just another vehicle. It's like it's like an ocean liner among, you know, among uh, paddle boats. And, and and you could see you could see the common sense of this day around truck drivers has just gone out the windows. If you paid attention to the backs of trucks, it says what not to do and what mm-hmm. the drivers do mm-hmm. exactly what not to do. They come yeah. up that right hand side trying to make a turn, and we can't even see until it's too late. Yeah, I hear that. 
Well, keep on keeping on, and thank you for what you do, and thanks for calling, Jr. I appreciate yeah. it. Um, no all right, so Sarah over at Starbucks says, uh, don't even think about making fun of being a barista because you couldn't do it. You couldn't handle it. I, I, I get that anybody in any job gets kind of prickly or, you know, nobody likes to be told, your job's a joke. I, I've been told that. It probably is a joke. Um, but... I wouldn't be going around saying um, you you couldn't do it. That's probably not the way to get people's respect or I guess sympathy isn't the right word. Maybe respect is the right word. Um, making coffee drinks is a, is a skill, and it's an entry-level job. I, I don't think it's a career for most people. Um. But her idea that we couldn't do it is a pretty broad, sweeping statement. I think, like Jr. said, if you wanted to learn how to do it, you could do it. I could do it. You could do it. I don't want to learn how to do it. I'm not interested in it. But if, if there had been Starbucks when I was a teenager, <laughs> what a statement that is. <laughs> how old is this guy? Had there been such a job when I was a teenager, um, yeah, I, I probably could have done it, probably would have done it. It's, it's probably better to just say, hey, we're glad for everybody that shows up and does whatever job they do, than to start saying, well, this isn't a real job, or you're not able to do, you couldn't do mine, or I don't know. I mean, there's got to be people hearing this that are like, oh, yeah, she should try what I do. 210-599-5555. Steve is on the radio. Steve, good evening. Jack, always a pleasure to talk to you. Now, maybe a, a slight distinction here between the hardest and the hottest, but I tell you what, there's nothing that would compare to tarring a roof in July. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or almost any other month in South Texas, but yeah. Um, well, good grief. yeah, I mean... You know, uh, before you got here years ago, you know, we, we've had 100-degree temperatures in February back in the mm -hmm. early 80s. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's just it's a, it's a hit or miss. But, um, yeah, you know, it's a matter of hottest or hardest. I, I don't know if you want to make a distinction or not, but I'm throwing that out in the, in the ring. Thank you, Jack. There you go. I'm glad you did, Stephen. Good to hear from you. Thank you for the call. Um, yeah, I mean, if your job, I, I, whenever people ask me about what I do, I, I always say, look, it's not hard. I talk. I'm talking. And the things I do for this job are all things I love to do anyway. And there's air conditioning, and I'm indoors, and there's no heavy lifting. I mean, if you're going to start throwing your job up against other people's jobs, you're, you're in an air-conditioned Starbucks you know, I mean, yeah, people can be rude or demanding or particular. I hear some people order drinks and it sounds like there's, you know, 52 ingredients in there. That must be that must be a headache. But, you know, think about the guy that's working outside or the person that's working with, you know, I don't know, a, a room full of children all day or uh, somebody that is uh, taking care of, of sick patients or assisting in a delicate surgical procedure or driving a over-the-road rig or, you know, I mean, come on, you know. Why don't you just make them their coffee, 
Show them some respect. Hopefully they'll show you some. Um, but yeah, the idea that, oh, I, I just pulled my shift at Starbucks. You couldn't do it. Whew. That sounds like somebody that maybe hasn't had other jobs yet. I'm just saying, you know, like I don't want to assume, but has she had any other jobs? Because after she's had like five or six jobs, I don't think she's going to think Starbucks is the one that breaks you. I really don't. Over on the Twitterverse, uh, Sarah York says, I love how barista is the job conservatives bring out as a lazy slacker job when one shift at a moderately busy Starbucks would have them crouched between stacks of milk crates sobbing in the back room. <laughs> That's quite an image. Um, is that where they go when they're not, uh, when, you, when, you, when they go in the back room, they go and sob? Uh, she says, you couldn't do it. So could you do it? Do you have a job that's harder than that? She's daring you. Three hours, by the way. You probably work more than three hours. 210-599-5555. Brad writes to Jack at KTSA.com. My first paying job as a 15 to 16-year-old was at a burger grill at a bowling alley. Tell Sarah that I served coffee, flipped burgers, made fries, bust tables, washed dishes, Sometimes without any help, one day a busload of about 20 showed up, hungry after a day at the beach, and I was by myself. Tell Sarah not to flee to the back room to cry for me. Well, well, there you go. Uh, Danny says, try working corrections for 29 years. Steve says, try tarring a roof in July. So do you have a job that's harder than that? Just, we, I don't want to scare her, but just for perspective, 210 599 5555. Brian is on KTSA. Hi, Brian. Hey, how's it going, Jack? Long time listener, first time caller. Oh, welcome. Thank you. Hey, well, I got one for this barista. I don't know. Starbucks seems like it's a tough, tough gig, buddy. But I work swing shift, 12 hour shifts on the furnace deck of a steel mill in South Texas. Hmm. So tell me about that. Well,. It's uh, probably well over 130, 140 degrees in most areas. Sometimes it's a lot hotter, hotter than that. We're wearing three layers of clothes, come rain or shine, mud or blood. Yep. It don't matter. That seems like one of those jobs where if you just had a, a brief like distraction or lapse of attention, you could lose a body part. Uh, you could lose more than that, unfortunately. It's a dangerous yeah. game. So right off the bat, when you're comparing your job at Starbucks, anybody whose job could could get them killed or like a hand comes off, a finger comes up, you know, you gotta you gotta have a little awareness right there. Like, wait a minute, these are two totally different things. I mean, what the worst thing that happens at Starbucks is you grab the cinnamon instead of the nutmeg. You know. <laughs> yes, sir. You bet. So, Brian, thank you for the call, and I'm glad you called. I hope you'll call again sometime. I appreciate your being a first time caller. Two ten. 599-5555. I am not for the millionth time. I respect anybody that, anybody that has a job, because this economy now is full of people that 
aren't working or between jobs. They did the, the great resignation. They, you know, so if you work, whatever it is, good for you. I'm not going to belittle that. But if you're comparing this kind of a job to just anything, you're biting off more than you can chew. And, you know, um, I I think probably if, if there is, you know, if there's suffering and pain in the Starbucks world because people are mean, people are demanding, people are finicky. I mean, I just go in and get coffee. They love me. <laughs> I get black coffee. It's like a it's like a vacation, right? My order is so simple. They look like that's it? Yep, that's it. Nothing to eat? Nope. Do you want anything in it? Nope. Just coffee. Yeah, cuz that's in your name. <laughs> I've come for the thing that's in the name of your business. But anyway, um if people are cranky or fussy or whatever that that's the that's the society that we're in we and that isn't just your customer at Starbucks people have a lot of people have an attitude they go in they go into every business that way not just Starbucks you know I don't I don't know when that started I'm not smart enough to tell you why that is or how that happened or when it began but if you're feeling like that's a Starbucks thing, wait till you get into the rest of the working world. It's going to follow you around. No matter what you're serving, no matter what you're doing, if you're if you're working with the public, you're going to have this. 210-599-5555. Um, they have asked Chris Rock to host the 2023 Oscars. <laughs> Which is unbelievable. Really? And he has said no. He won't do it. He told the um, Arizona Republic newspaper, going back to the Oscars would be like asking Nicole Brown Simpson to go back to the restaurant where she left her eyeglasses. Okay. Uh, the Academy has not commented, but he says he was offered and turned down the gig. Good for him. It'd be great if, like, every A-list comedian turned them down. I know that won't happen, but that would be cool. We were talking yesterday about uh, cars and what's happening with car prices, with electric cars. John Davis was on our show. Um, this is from the blog autoevolution.com. Uh, it's not getting any cheaper for car buyers to get behind the wheel of a new car. Despite record high average prices in August, sales increased 5% over August of 2021. And sales increases in August are almost unheard of in the car business. August is typically a month where automakers are desperately trying to clear out their inventory to make room for the next model year, the new model year. But people are buying. And this blogger says um, what's happening, and this is, this is pretty frightening if you think about it, what's happening in the auto business right now is that 
there there are almost no cash customers left. People are going in, um, assuming they will finance financing for several years. I think the first time I had a car payment, it was like two hundred dollars. There are now routinely car payments that are four figures a month for for several years. So they've somehow convinced people, or people have convinced themselves, that your car, get this, your car is your second mortgage. And I'm not a financial expert or advisor, but how wrong is that? I mean, a mortgage on a house versus a mortgage on a car? (laughs) The house might... Go up in value. Is the car going to go up in value? Is the car an investment? Oh, yeah, I'm pretty smart to finance this car. You wait and see. You laugh now, but look where I'll be in five or ten years. I don't know about that, but that's what they say. That's what's happening. So, And the other thing that's happening in the car business is now, you may remember if you buy cars or have bought new cars, you go to a, you go to a dealer's lot, the negotiating position you're in is they've already got the car and it's sitting there and so your your bargaining position is based on hey I'll take it off your hands but this is what I want or this is what I'm willing to pay but now it's an on-demand system what they call demand-based sales your car isn't there no car is there I want such and such a Cadillac. I want such and such a Lexus. Well, what, okay, let's let's design it. Let's let's fill out an order form. Oh, but I just want to buy one you have here. We don't have any here. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. How long this goes. I, I get the funny feeling that somewhere somewhere off in the future, a politician who may not even have been born yet, is going to be announcing car loan forgiveness. I hope I'm wrong about that. That that doesn't sound good. On the JR poll, um, who is your vote for governor, Abbott or O'Rourke? Eighty-six percent said Abbott. Fourteen percent said O'Rourke. New JR poll tomorrow at four. Find it anytime at KTSA.com. It's on the homepage, and this show is available on demand. You can listen to whole episodes of this show on your schedule, so nights, mornings, weekends. Go to the Jack Riccardi page at KTSA.com for that. Um, Speaking of the governor's race, um, we talk about this a lot. With all the people coming to Texas and moving to Texas, is it changing the political complexion of Texas? And when people call into the show, you've probably heard me ask this, when people say, oh, I moved here from California, I was asking them, you you know, are you bringing those politics or that and they're always adamant, right? They always say, oh, no, no, we, I moved to get away from that. I'm not bringing it with me. Well, now there's a survey uh, that was commissioned by the Defend Texas Liberty PAC, and it shows that um, newly registered voters, which may not be all newly arrived Texans, it, it, they could be newly registered for a lot of reasons, but anyway, newly registered voters are tending to be Republican by about a three to two ratio. So Republicans are signing up voters 
faster than Democrats are in Texas. Um, and on several hot-button issues, uh, it seems like newly registered voters are trending the way Texas votes. So we'll see. See what happens. I'm still wondering about that. It's hard not to wonder about it when you see the incredible influx of people into our uh, state. We were talking about the uh, barista thing. Is your job harder than being a Starbucks barista? Uh, Jen writes, uh, try doing CPR on a 22-year-old patient in front of his parents and a six-month-old son after a 12-hour night shift. Then go home to try to sleep and not lie there and wonder what more you could have done until your next shift. So, And she said, and we never cry in a corner because we have six more patients that need our care during that shift. Yeah, okay. You know, it's probably the case. I guess, like, the first job I had was in a, a drugstore that I just ran the register and sold the merchandise, and we sold, you know, over-the-counter stuff. We sold a lot of cigarettes. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I bitched and moaned about it when I was 14, 15, 16 years old because it was the only job I'd ever had. And I'm sure my parents were rolling their eyes. <laughs> really? But, yeah, when, when it's the first job or the only job, you might think, but come on, Starbucks? No. Um, I don't know if this is real. Don asked me if this is real when we were going to play it, and I don't know if it's real or not. And to be honest, I don't even care, because if it is not real, it's comedic gold. And if it is real, well, it's comedic gold. This is a uh, young woman on TikTok describing things she just does not Things in the world that that are mysteries to her that she just does not understand. Take a listen. Things I just don't understand. The wind. What? Like, what is it? How? What is wind? I don't get it. Never will. Many. Why don't they just print loads of money off? Like, why? Like, I don't... Then no one would be poor. I just don't get it. The world. How is it one of the smallest planets? But then nine billion people live on it. And animals. Don't get it. How? Why? Electricity. I know it comes from the pylons, but how does it get to the pylons? Like, what? Bit confusing. We'll never understand that. The number 11. Why is it called 11 and not 21? Like, 22, 33. Like, 11. Who thought of that? Don't like it. The ocean. How is it so deep? Why is it so deep? Don't get it. I just don't understand space. I just don't get it. Like, I just... What? It just confuses me. Name of things. Who looked at something and was like, that's the sky? What? <laughs> Who named the sky? That is a deep question. That's either the beginning of a, of a great conversation or the end of a first date. I don't know which. Yeah, she says, uh, among the things she just can't understand, the wind... Money? Why don't we just print more money when we need it? Um, electricity? How does it get to the pylons, you know, the power cables, power lines? I, I The part where I started to think this cannot be real was why is an 11, what does she say, Don, 1D1? or Like 22, why is an 11, what does she call it, 1D1 or something like that? I don't know. Do, are people really wondering about that? Some of this stuff what? you could probably 
Google or look up. Eleven, I don't think there's any way to know. You'll just have to you'll just have to accept that. Maybe go to Starbucks. I don't know. Just a thought, just throwing that out there. See you back here at four tomorrow. I just don't get it. Look, I just well, it just confuses me. Name things. Who looked at something and was like, that's the sky? What?